Last time on the Knight and Rose Show, we talked about how we would like the church to do a better job of preparing Christians for mission. Today, we continue our discussion. One thing we seem to have a lot of trouble with today is sort of putting forward spiritual and moral boundaries to people, making, you know, truth claims like this is the truth and this agreement with this is false. You know, that makes people uncomfortable. And then on moral issues, you say, uh, this is the right thing to do in this situation. And because that seems to rub people the wrong way, we stop doing it. But actually, a lot of people who sort of cross over the lines in different issues change their worldviews a lot as a result of having done something really wrong. So I think it's a good idea for the church to to be more confident and bold about, you know, setting out these boundaries and maybe even maybe supporting them with evidence. Um, what do you think? Have you ever seen a situation like that where someone wasn't really convinced about something theological or something moral and they stepped across a line they shouldn't have stepped across and then it caused a lot of problems for the relationship with God? Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, it was probably only maybe a month or two ago that, I mean, this actually kind of happens fairly frequently but lately, but, but about a month or two mm-hmm. ago, I had a, a Facebook friend who was upset with me because I had posted something again against um, abortion. And... Oh, you're being controversial again. Yes. Surprise. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> the, this person was really upset. And first she commented publicly, and then I explained why scientifically we know when life begins. We know we know what is growing inside the mother's womb. You know, we know that it's a distinct mm-hmm. living whole human. And we yeah. know from the Bible that murder is wrong. So Mm -hmm. when you put these two things together, there's really, this is, the phrase I used was, this is a no brainer. Mm -hmm. She kept replying with her feelings. Well, I don't feel like it's as bad when the fetus is really young. Well, I don't feel like every situation is the same. Well, I don't feel like you're being very compassionate. And we actually took the conversation private and continued it, but it was more of the same. I would give her evidence. She would give me feelings. And right. I I found out, I had a suspicion, but I found out in our private conversations that she had, in fact, had an abortion. And the reason why she was so passionate about this issue was because she needed to be approved of. She wanted to be justified in her actions. She did not want to acknowledge that she had done something wrong. And I'll tell you something, I am very, very compassionate when people come to me. Several of my friends can testify to this. Mm -hmm. When people come to me and say, I had an abortion, it was the biggest mistake of my life. I am horrified by it. And I want to use the days that I have left teaching younger people not to do what I have done. That's an excellent attitude and a very excellent person to make a difference Mm -hmm. if they have that kind of humility to accept that they've done something wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. But this this particular person I have in mind uh, just wanted to Mm -hmm. be affirmed and celebrated for all of her decisions. She didn't think she had done anything wrong or she didn't at least want to admit it. As we talked more and more, I found out her entire worldview has changed as a result of that decision and her need to be celebrated for her decision. So yes, you're absolutely right that when people cross a line morally and they're not willing to acknowledge that it was wrong, the whole 
thing can fall apart, the whole worldview. I think it's probably pretty hard for someone to either accept that God has these rules that sometimes get in the way of their happiness, or if they make the mistake that they did something wrong and then their desire is to warn other people. The Christian life isn't easy. Either you're losing out on things that you want to have, or you you have to be humble and accept that you're not sufficient in and of yourself. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's something else. Again, I feel, I, I hate to, to go on and on and on about... Um, <laughs> how poorly the church has done, but hopefully, you know, maybe we're giving some ideas for how the church can do better. But this is one area. People need to know that the Christian life is hard. And that's not something I've heard a lot in church. I, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, be nice, a lot of pray and God will give you what you want, that yeah. sort of thing. But we need to be preparing people for rejection. We need to be preparing people for shame, for for threats that they are likely to receive, increasingly so as our culture becomes more hostile towards Christianity and Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, we ought to expect to be persecuted the way the New Testament Christians were persecuted. I mean, this is the that is the normal Christian life. It is not the normal Christian life to be celebrated for calling yourself a Christian. So mm-hmm. if we want people to be equipped to be prepared to persevere in the Christian life, we need to be teaching them the full counsel of scripture, including the passages where there is tremendous conflict, where there's condemnation of Christians, where there's controversy, as opposed to just be nice. This I don't know where this whole just be nice came from. This One of my yeah. least favorite one of sayings to hear is, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. No, that's, that's so right. unbiblical. That is the culture speaking. That is not Jesus. That, that's nowhere to be found in the Bible. Jesus condemned the Pharisees in the harshest of terms. Read Matthew 23, the whole chapter. Being nice Mm -hmm. was not at the top of Jesus' priority list. And another example I think of is um, when Jesus scolded uh, his own disciple, Peter, right? When Peter was off base about who Jesus was in Matthew 16, uh, verse 23, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That was Jesus' conversation with his like rock star disciple. <laughs> he's, he's calling him Satan right. and saying, you're a hindrance to me. You're, you know, get your mind right. It's on the things of man. It's on the things of this world. How many of us need to be told and how often do we need to be told, hey, your mind is set on the things of this world and that's a problem. You need to set your mind on the things of God. Let's talk about what that looks like. And I'll walk you through it and I'll strategize with you. And, you know, we can talk about it, but I don't see a lot of that going on in the church. And, you know, it's absolutely critical. I mean, something else we see is um, all throughout Acts, I've been reading through Acts recently, we see Christians being stoned, uh, some dying, some surviving. Mm-hmm. We see Christians being jailed. We see rioting from people who are concerned that they're going to lose some of their business over over Christianity. These are the things we should expect. We should not expect to be celebrated or held up as wonderful people because we call ourselves Christians. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's not about being nice. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard living the Christian life is hard and it's very, very costly. In fact, I'm, you know, I don't, you've experienced your share of, um, you know, difficulty and challenge and, and costliness mm-hmm. over following Christ in, in hard times. I know you've, you've told me in some of our conversations, 
Are there, are there any you're comfortable sharing with any listeners? Yeah, I think in the early 2000s, when I was just, you know, coming to America to start uh, working here and seeing if I could somehow turn this into a way to, to immigrate, it was pretty difficult. We had a lot of recessions. I think there was one in like 2003 and then another one in uh, 2006 or something like that. And so we're, you know, I was watching a lot of people in the IT get laid off and it was really difficult to, at the time, I was supporting a few Christian ministries, and I remember like being in tears, signing some of these checks to like uh, William Lane Craig's ministry and and stuff, and just thinking, I don't even know if I'm gonna like people who are listening, who are residents of their country and have permission to be there. When you're on a work permit, you have to understand that if you lose your job, you get deported. I have to leave the country yeah. if I if I lose the job that I'm in. It's not like you just find another job. Uh, so this was these were these were very you know dark days, difficult days for me to be doing these things. But I wanted to be part of the solution to help people who didn't know some of these arguments to build themselves up. So yeah, I mean that's a great example, and I think of Jesus telling people before they commit to following Him that they need to count the cost. So that, you know we should expect that there is going to be a huge cost like the one you just described, like several others, I think that we've both experienced over the, uh, the years of following Christ. I mean, Jesus, mm-hmm. Jesus likens the decision to follow him to the decision to fight a war and tells people in Luke 14, you need to know, can you, you know, you need to think about and ask the question, do I have um, the resources? Do I have the perseverance? Do I have the character? You know, um, and of course, Jesus the Holy Spirit is always sanctifying us and growing us and equipping us more and more for what he puts in front of us. But if we're thinking the Christian life is just going to be some sort of party or concert or picnic, picnic, yeah, exactly. Then, then as we count the cost of whether or not we're going to follow him, then the answer, it should probably be no. If you're looking for a picnic, I can tell you the answer to whether or not you're ready to follow Christ is no. You know, yeah. following Christ puts us at war with Christ's enemies. He even mm-hmm. even your our own family members, if they're not Christians. You know, Matthew ten, uh, Jesus talks about. Yeah. Um. You know, don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Um. I've come to to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter in law against her mother in law. I remember when I was young. Yeah. When I was young, growing up in my family, my mom, my mom's Muslim, and her entire side of the family, all my aunts uh, and uncles are are Muslim, and I, mm-hmm. I had gotten my little New Testament uh, from the Gideons in my public school, and I, I was it. reading this, and I came to this passage, and I brought this passage to her, and I said, uh, "What do you think about this passage?" Because I had no idea what she was, and 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 I didn't know what she was going to say. And she said, "I don't like it." And wow. I thought, Oh well, I guess I don't like you then, because this sounds really, really good to me, and uh, uh, that God's going to be first. You know, if if God were first in the way that you were raising me, maybe and my brother, you know, maybe we would we would be treated a lot better by our parents. Yeah, I, there wasn't any constitution, you know, in that home in terms of this is the way that we're going to raise you and we have this goal for you. But uh, it was a really neat thing to me at the time that Christianity had, Mm -hmm. you know, this more important vertical relationship that imposed all of these values and boundaries on uh, some of the people who at that time in my life, they weren't really uh, performing in a way that was constructive and caring towards me. So um, might be one of the reasons why I was so curious about it and so interested. Although 
at this point in my life, I have many, many, many better reasons to believe than I had back then. Right. Right. So, it, it, you know, you mentioned that, you know, counting the costs and uh, fighting a war and things like that. So, you know, I, I play a lot of video games and I'm always strategy games and I'm always thinking about, you know, how do I level up my people? How do I equip them with better equipment? How do I uh, grow my cities and and my armies and, and so on? I, I have, you know, I think I think men naturally think in these terms. And so Christianity is normal for us. We're thinking, how can I make a difference? How can I score points? And the world is a scary place, but that doesn't mean you have to go out there and be dumb and get yourself <laughs> into trouble. So one of the things I've done, obviously, is, uh, and this is, you know, being proven out almost as we speak in, in the current days, people are saying, oh, it was a good idea for you to have an alias. If you want to speak out about controversial issues like natural marriage or the uh, status of the unborn or anything, the rights of, of children and, and, and the responsibilities of adults, pretty much anything, there, you don't have to just be wild and crazy mm -hmm. and stand up on the middle of the battlefield and go, everyone, I'm over here, you know, shoot at me. You can, you can make certain decisions that are going to make it a little easier for you to, to hit your target and not get hit yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so how could the church equip people to be a little bit more brave, perhaps by seeing the danger but accepting that there's going to be certain risks involved in being a Christian, that you're going to be expected to do dangerous things that, you know, might make you some enemies or might make you some trouble at work or some trouble in the schools with the teachers or whatever. What can the church do to get people used to the idea that this is the normal Christian life, as there's going to be some conflict? Yeah, well, one thing we can do is to teach the danger and the risk of following Christ as found in the scriptures, uh, you know, First Peter five eight says to be sober minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There really is a real adversary out there who wants to devour us. We see, you know, Stephen in in early in Acts seized. He had this powerful message, and then he was stoned to death. We see also in Acts, Peter and his friends threatened by the political leaders and jailed. In Second Corinthians eleven. Paul goes on and on about in this long passage about how he was beaten <laughs> with rods, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he's in he was in danger from robbers and rivers and his own people and enemies of the faith, danger in the city, danger every outside the city, danger everywhere he went, uh, danger from mm -hmm. false. What an advertisement for Christianity, right? Do you think anybody would take that job today? <laughs> well, you know what's interesting? I was reading a book recently. I'm actually not quite done with it. It listed the top 10 reasons given by men for why they don't want to go to church. And they were all very similar reasons. And they were like, mm -hmm. well, it, Christianity is boring. Church is boring. Church is irrelevant. It has nothing to do with real life. It has nothing to do with the way I live. It's, wow. it's a bunch of hypocrites. And I don't like singing. And just all this, like, um, I, there's no... You know, there's no real hope or fun or risk or greatness or anything. It's just dull and boring. I'm just thinking where, how dramatically wrong have we gone that men get that impression of what it's like to live the Christian life? And so, yeah, I actually mm. do think that if we teach on the potential risks that people who are willing to engage in the kind of life like Jesus and his disciples engaged in, they will be more drawn to the church. And people yeah. who just want to be social and have potlucks and call themselves Christians 
are probably not going to come. And I think that's fine. That's great. Then we wouldn't be accused of having a church of hypocrites. We would have people who are willing to put their their lives where their mouth is instead of um, you know being there for all the wrong reasons. So yeah, I, I think that that's actually a really good idea. When I think of the Christian life in terms of me and my friends, it's basically the life of a secret agent. Like yes. we have... All of these, we have, uh, um, we're reading all these books, we're having all these conversations, we're wondering about the different relationships we have with our coworkers and our family members. Um, we're organizing campus lectures, campus debates, conferences. We're now, you and I are doing this podcast, which we never did before. My blog gets me into trouble frequently with people. You know, there's this rule, and I'm a war gamer, and there's this rule in, in war games that whenever you're about to take a shot, you know, if someone is advancing in your position, they always say, make sure that you calculate the cost of this shot because you're going to reveal your position when you shoot. For me and my friends, we're always considering how much can I say to this person at work? How much can I say to my boss? Mm -hmm. For us, it's constant danger, you know, because we don't want to lose our jobs. We need to earn our money. We need to save our money. We have to allocate the money to all the ministries we want to support. We have mentoring relationships where you push the person too hard and they disengage. But you need to keep this person growing, but you need to keep, you need to make sure that you don't cause them to pull away from you. So there's just so many relationships going on, so many projects with all of these different people. I wish I could show people what it's really like to be involved in Christianity in this way, rather than mm -hmm. <laughs> what you see in church, which is just walk in and let the pastor handle this. This is absolutely not how Christianity works. Exactly. Um, we'll probably do a lot of shows on this and share that with people so that they have some kind of idea of what they could be doing. Mm -hmm. I actually think that there's value in highlighting martyrs throughout the ages and holding these people up as Christians who we admire and honor and seek to be more like. And I, th I think mm -hmm. it, it'd be valuable to honor and draw attention to the people who supported them as well, like their wives, their children and such. Mm -hmm. Not to, I'm not a fan of the whole like um, desert your family for the sake of the gospel. But mm -hmm. there have been a lot of spouses and children who have really been instrumental in the work of their husbands and have had a lot to do with the impact that was made and to no small sacrifice to themselves. And I think that these are the kind of people we want to hold up as models, role models, as opposed to mm -hmm. the people we hold up today, which is like the singers, right? The people who, if you can play an instrument <laughs> or you can sing. Athletes. The athletes. Yes, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. The charismatic people. Right. With lots of makeup and the very sing-song voices. Yes. Um, the very tall, handsome, you know, pastors and yeah, right. it's very strange. Like if I were thinking about people that I look up to, I think I look up to Walter Bradley. I know there's a new book about his life, uh, Dr. Walter Bradley. He's a professor of mechanical engineering and 
he was at uh, Texas A&M for a long time. And um, he was a very outspoken Christian who had grown up in a family where his father committed suicide. And this guy was really driven. He was like an A-plus student. He finished his PhD at some ridiculous uh, age, like 24, and was a full professor by 27. He was a Christian. He was really upset about how he had gone through school and uh, nobody had ever supported him in his face so that he was taking all this heat for being an outspoken Christian and none of the professors gave him any support. So he just decided he wanted to be a Christian professor. And he would announce his faith to his students and say, hey, this is just to build rapport. I want you all to know that I'm a Christian. And all the Christian students would come and talk to him about all the things that they were going through in their lives. But of course, then all of his professor colleagues had contempt for him and would exclude him from things and laugh at him and make fun of him, even though he was an absolutely at the top of his field as a, as a professor of mechanical engineering with a, a lot of grants from private companies and a lot of inventions, a lot of published papers. It didn't matter. You know, the fact that he believed these things in a very orthodox way, was strong enough in his beliefs to write papers on it, deliver lectures, you know, at all different university campuses, he was still taking a lot of heat. He talks about this one story where uh, the atheist at the school newspaper where he was working found out that he was giving these speeches to his students. They said, oh, would you like to write an article in our student newspaper about your faith? And he said, oh, that'd be great. They thought he was going to say no, you know, <laughs> because they thought, well, you might be willing to do that to people who are in your classroom, but you're not going to announce that to the whole campus. And he was like, I, that's just the sort of crazy person that I am. And uh, so he wrote this long, long article in the student newspaper with all sorts of apologetics. For me, that's the kind of person I, I don't like to lose and I don't like to suffer and I don't like to be the victim of non-Christians. So I'm, like I said, I'm a war gamer. My goal is to win. And so I want to do as much damage as I can to the other side and have not let them get me. For Bradley, he did a ton of uh, excellent work, but because he was so good at his job, they could never get rid of him. I love uh, it. And I think that that's one way that you can be an outspoken Christian. But are we telling people in the churches, you need to be the best in your education and the best in your career? You need to manage your money so that you have lots of money set aside for your legal defense. You need to be careful about who you marry so that your your wife isn't like throwing your kids into public schools or undermining you, but she's like a co-laborer with you, you know? Yeah. Um, we don't really make the Christian life very adventurous or consequential. I don't know how you could look at Christianity in the Bible and get to this point where you're saying, this is all for me. Mm -hmm. You know, God's job is to make me happy. I think the culture has infiltrated the church more than the church has infiltrated the culture. You know, there's this huge emphasis on feelings. Do what feels good. Do what makes you happy. Don't worry about, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's very little about being mission-minded, very little about what Christ's mission for us is as uh, with the priority of his kingdom as opposed to building mm -hmm. our own kingdom or uh, prioritizing what feels good to us, whether it be with money, with our education, with talents, with experience, with relationships, mm -hmm. with marriage. And so, you know, we marry the person who makes us feel good and mm -hmm. we buy the things that make us feel good. And we focus, we, we major in the course of study that feels good or feels easy or whatever, without thinking from a mission-minded perspective. I really think that this needs to be a big part of mentoring and strategizing, like mm -hmm. we've talked about, with people who want to be mission-minded. Give, give us an example. Um, you come to mind, actually. You've done a really great job at this. 
I know that- Me? Yes, you. I know that you've mentored several young women. You've led them to excellent books. You've given them excellent advice on very practical issues. You've built them up and you've prepared and equipped them to choose good men, to make the most of their marriage for kingdom purposes. And mm-hmm. um, and even with me, you asked me early on, you know, what are your goals? What are you working towards? What are you interested in doing? And I gave you a list and you said, okay, well, let me introduce you to this app that you can use that'll be a lot more helpful than what you're using. And I love that you're interested in doing this and this and that. Those are kingdom-minded uh, mission and purposes, but you're going to need you're going to need this. You're going to need that. Um, you know what? Let me send them to you because I know you don't have a lot of extra resources. And uh, you saw mm-hmm. that on my list was to start a podcast, and that you you know realized, of course, that that was actually something that had been tossed around in your mind. And as we talked more and more and saw how much we're on the same page, you said, "Okay, mm-hmm. why don't we do a podcast together? Here's what we're going to need." You made a whole list of everything that we would need, what the steps were, what I could do that would fit within my abilities and what you could do, divided up the tasks and we got going on it and here we are. So, you know, mm-hmm. people, the church needs people like like you. They need people to to take that initiative, to mentor, to lead, to, um, again, like I said, strategize, to realize that there's a risk, but um, also to help people think through how to mitigate that risk through things like having an alias. I mean, I know that you that mm-hmm. people have, have laughed at that as being paranoid, but with a lot mm-hmm. of the things that we're seeing in, for example, even Canada today, you know, a country that, that we all think of as so wonderful and peaceful and free and, you know, the the height of freedom and kindness and mm-hmm. and wonderfulness, you know, the the prime minister has, you know, essentially kind of declared war on on peaceful protesters and is is uh, blocking their access to their bank accounts and to has has blocked their access to grocery stores and things like this. I mean, we need to think several steps ahead. I, I think a lot of people have a lot to learn from you on these topics. That's one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast with you is because your voice needs to be heard. Your experiences need to be heard. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, I'm all about like trying to, I, I don't really look at Christianity as something that's supposed to you know, meet my needs or make me happy. It's more about, look, what can I do here to move the ball forward? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So, you know, uh, typically what I do is I do a lot in the office. So I'll put William Lane Craig debates and, and intelligent design DVDs on my desk. I remember the first job I had, I was working in Chicago near Fermilab. I was looking through a lot of lectures from uh, the Veritas Forum. So these are, this is an organization that's since gone kind of woke, but at that time they were very good. They were very strong. And they would put out, they would invite these professors to lecture at college campuses. And um, at that time in my life, I was, I was just going through their, their videos, ordering them. And there was one that I saw of a guy named Dr. Mike Strauss, who was doing research at Fermilab, right? Uh, it's a, it's a, like a particle physics laboratory. He was right near where I was working. So I saw his lecture that he gave at Stanford, where he went through the standard evidences for a creator and designer with the Stanford students. And I had passed that DVD around my office. And the atheists were like, this guy is good. This is how you argue for a creator and a designer. And he actually has a career in this, you know, nice. uh, which is something that young Christians should be thinking about is how am I going to get that authority? Mm-hmm. So I actually invited him out to speak when he was doing his experimental work at Fermilab. And he spoke to all the people in my company. And it was hilarious because we took him out for lunch afterwards. 
And uh, one of the atheists there started raising the oscillating model of the universe as a counter to the standard cosmology, which requires a creator. And the other atheist, at the, one of the other atheists at the table said, no, you idiot, don't you understand? Because of this cosmic microwave background radiation and redshift and helium hydrogen abundances, we know that the universe had a beginning. So there's no way that you can maintain that. So this guy was like a scorpion. He, he just really loved stinging people. And so even if he could use Christianity to, to start a fight, he was willing to do it. And that is when you know you've really won, is when you can take uh, atheists out to lunch and the one who knows more about the data is having so much fun with his new toys that he turns it against his brother. And you're kind of thinking, this is amazing. I don't even have to do the work. He's doing the work for me. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want Christians to, you know, to have in terms of experiences. Yeah. So <laughs> what do you think? What do you think that the, uh, the church can do to equip Christians to have these kinds of interactions with non-Christians where they're like, let's take a look at the data. I know that we work together and I know that, you know, uh, this is risky, but I feel so comfortable with my approach and my evidence that I'm going to let it be known that I'm a Christian around the office and that this is where I'm coming from. Like, what, what does the church need to do to turn out people who are going to sort of turn it up a bit at work and know how to do that? Yeah, well, I think one of the things that the church can do is hold more debates on theological topics and prepare people in-house to have those types of conversations. You know, th those things will come naturally and easily and are, are actually really fun for people who have the basic knowledge, you know, to be able to engage in those conversations and, and who have a good idea of what the other side says and claims. And as you were talking, you know, I was reminded of Acts 17, 18 and 19 and how, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Paul would go into the synagogues and reason with the Jews and persuade the Jews. And then he would go into the town square and reason and persuade the Gentiles. And people would, would then become convinced of the truth and start following him. And then they, you know, people who had been against him, opposed to his message at first had become convinced of it and then were fighting for his side. We're going out and going with him and making the case for Christianity alongside of him and probably in different areas as well. And so mm -hmm. we in church, you know, we we're just missing so much of that. We're we're missing the ability to have intelligent conversations, to have practical conversations that are informed mm -hmm. by a Christian worldview. We're holding up people as examples who really don't have that ability, who don't have those skills, who don't remind me of anybody in Acts, except maybe the mm -hmm. guy who fell out the window when he was listening to the sermon that Paul gave. <laughs> um, but that's a different story. You know, I, I think something else that the church really needs to do is really, uh, I don't know how to say this in a way that that sounds kind or gentle, but we need to to discourage people from acting so weird. And by weird, I mean... <laughs> I mean, things like uh, attributing all of our feelings to God. Like, you know, uh -huh. um, I feel like God is calling me to, you know, and then dot, 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 whatever, put in whatever your feelings are actually leading you to want to do. Or, um, yeah. you know, needing a sign for every little thing or seeing every little thing as a sign. Yeah. And uh, uh, when really it's, it, 
all of that is self-serving. I'm not saying that that the Holy Spirit cannot. That's making God's job to care about you, your life, and your happiness. And if you flip it around from my perspective, it's that God is the boss, God is the general, Mm -hmm. and it's my job to undertake actions today to move the war along in a direction that he would like it to go. Mm-hmm. So it's a completely different, he's not there to rescue me or make me feel anything. It's my job to think about what will I do today to show that I respect Jesus as leader, that I respect God as commander. Yeah. Um, how, how will my actions reflect my allegiance, my vertical allegiance? Absolutely. Is, yeah. It's nowhere. It's nowhere. Nobody thinks like that. Right. And, and along those lines, when God is the one whose opinion we care about and when God's mission is the one we're seeking, we will be rejected by by non-Christians, by secular culture, we'll feel out of place, we'll be made fun of, we'll be threatened. But another thing I think we really need to do is emphasize that it does not matter what the secular culture thinks of you. Who cares? I would love, I can't think of a single time when I've heard a sermon about the dangers and the problems and the pathetic nature of being a people pleaser and mm-hmm. needing the approval of the secular culture around us. But it's all over the Bible. I mean, you know, I saw the first king of Israel. He defied the order of God because he wanted the men under him to like him. Who cares if the men under you like you? You have a mission. You have a boss. You have an audience of one. You yes. need to you serve God. Who cares if the men under you like you or not? I think yeah. of, you know, Pilate, Pontius Pilate. Uh, Mark fifteen fifteen says, wishing to satisfy the crowd, he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. That's where people pleasing will lead you. Yeah. You know, Paul made a big deal about how, you know, if I were seeking the approval of men, then I would not be a servant of Christ. It ought to be a source of embarrassment to call yourself a Christian and yet care more about what the secular culture thinks of you than what God cares about you. And again, I think by equipping people with apologetics, with theology, with a Christian worldview, with debates and debaters as kind of role models, as opposed to Mm -hmm. feelings-oriented, really nice people who can sing songs and things like that as as the role models, we would make a huge step forward in equipping people in this kind of way. I agree. You don't learn how to talk, how to get into these conversations except by watching debates. You learn how to sit still and listen to your opponent by watching debates. That tolerance and calmness that you need in order to make it safe for the other person to open up to you comes from practicing listening to the other side and not needing to interrupt, shame them, insult them, attack them. But instead, the Christian in the in the workplace especially in today's workplace, especially in today's IT workplace, that should be the safe space for everybody, left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. You know, They should be able to come to you and say, this is what I really think about this. Yeah. And we are supposed to know how to do that. And that's something that we can offer that the very radicalized, secular, left, woke people cannot offer. We can offer forgiveness. We can offer tolerance. And, and that's something that people are going to want in order to be themselves. We can give them that safe place 
to discuss what's really true. Mm -hmm, Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned watching debates and how important that is. That's definitely something that I, I would absolutely agree. It has to be a priority among Christians. I've gained a tremendous amount from watching debates. I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, probably from watching debates, I've learned the most about temperament and, and character in how to respond and that sort of thing. I would add to that, that to gain the knowledge, really to gain the knowledge that debaters have, we have to be reading excellent books. We have to expect Christians to read excellent books. We we have to be doing it ourselves expecting it of others. Mm-hmm. This this needs to be a normal conversation. Give us an example. What are you reading? Um, so right now I'm reading a book called Homosexuality and the Politics of Truth. And, wow. And in that book, uh, the author Jeffrey Satinover talks a lot about what type of life someone who engages in homosexual behavior is likely to experience using studies, um, statistics. With he's re- a medical doctor, right? He's some kind yes, of doctor. Yes, he's a medical doctor. That's right. Yeah. Yes. And in every area of life with regard to disease, life expectancy, fulfillment, satisfaction, st- stability, and happiness, contentment, every sort of issue that people really care about, homosexuality mm. does not bode well for those things. Rejecting mm one's homosexual inclinations, one's self, uh, same-sex attractions is actually the way to a more fulfilling, a more satisfying, happier and healthier lifestyle. And so, I mean, we don't have to just go out and say homosexuality is wrong because the Bible says so. I mean, God does not give us rules to make our lives miserable. He gives us wisdom in order to build us up and equip us for our own good to give us what he knows is actually best for us. And sometimes that results in persecution. Sometimes that results in self-sacrifice and cost, as we've talked about. But ultimately, Mm -hmm. God cares about our good. Ultimately, following Christ is what is going to make us happy, satisfied, fulfilled in the end, even if there is a temporary cost, even if that temporary cost is our very lives. But we have to be reading excellent books in order to know this, in order to share it with others. I mean, I would be embarrassed to go up to someone and tell them about Jesus as we're commanded to in the Great Commission. And then, you know, if they ask, well, why should I believe that? Say, um, well, you know, it, I had a burning in my bosom. I, I just feel it. I just, <laughs> I just know it's true. Or, or my mommy told me so. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, and that, but that's what we're equipping people with. We, we just have to do a better job of expecting of ourselves and of one another to be reading good books. Are we reading good books? Do you think that the Christian <laughs> community, do you think the churches are promoting good books? What what are what are people reading? Yeah, interesting that you should bring that up because I I again was listening to um to Greg Kokel recently and he shared the top 100 best-selling Christian books of 2021. He mentioned that there were only two books related to Christian apologetics. So I found (laughs) the site and I went to the full list to see what was on there. What are they reading? What are people reading? It's pathetic. Okay. So Joyce Meyer, right? Prosperity Gospel, Health and Wealth, Feminist, who has nothing of substance to offer. Uh, Sarah Young, who basically, you know, the Bible is insufficient for her. So she has to um, create. Get direct messages yeah, from God. Yes, exactly. That are about her life. Exactly. Yeah. So she gets these so-called direct messages and she writes them down. But her voice, her words 
what she is hearing or what she is imagining in her mind. She attributes those words to Jesus. So all of her books are, her her books are books like um, Jesus Calling and She's got like, I don't wow. know, a dozen of them. Jesus calling at Christmas and Jesus calling when it's rainy outside and Jesus calling. <laughs> I mean, those aren't literal, but um, Jesus calling all the time. And they're all her words that she is attributing to Jesus. So big, big, big problem wow. there. It's all feelings oriented. It's all very, um, yeah. you know, girly. It sounds nothing like Jesus of the Bible. We've got uh, yeah. on that list also T.D. Jakes, again, uh, Prosperity Gospel, Joel Osteen, Max Lucado. More prosperity Gospel. Yeah, Joel yeah. Osteen is Prosperity Max Gospel. Max Lucado is yeah. just, you know, as watered down and useless as it gets. I realize that Christians love reading him, uh, reading his books, but. Um, yeah, he's gone very woke lately. Exactly. I, I never read his stuff. I was disturbed by by the the way people were we're uh, putting this guy forward when I was a young Christian and I never, I never got into this. Exactly. So I actually found three books related to Christian apologetics. One of them was The Case for Christ, which is an excellent book, but it, I thought it was odd that a book that's like 25 years old should be on the top 100. Yeah. But I really think it's because the movie came out and people were like, oh, that was a good movie. Maybe I'll read the book. Oh boy. And then they were, were probably in for a shock because the book actually has apologetics in it. So I don't think people bought it <laughs> for its apologetics. I think they bought it because the movie made them feel things. And then um, yeah. Greg Kokel's Tactics, which is phenomenal. And then Mama Bear Apologetics as well was on there. So, um, but, but other than that, I mean, really, it was just really watered down, unhelpful, untheological or non-theological, um, non-apologetics, not helpful, Mm -hmm. kind of feel good, give me what I want, make me happy right now, nonsense that honestly, Christians should be, should be offering people money to take those books away from them. They should not be buying them. (laughs) You keep mentioning Greg Kokel and uh, one of his favorite quotations, one of my favorite quotations of his is uh, he said something like this. And I think it was in his his uh, master series lecture on Christianity at the end of the 20th century. He said, uh, I think it was in the Q&A. He said something like this to someone. He said, with respect to God's purposes in the world, your happiness is expendable. And uh, wow. it just made me think of one of my favorite ch- uh, verses that Walter Bradley spoke on. Uh, it's passage from First Corinthians four one to four that talks about uh, uh, the need for stewards to be found faithful. So look that one up if if you want. But uh, I think that's a good place to end. So I think that's uh, let's call it there. Uh, if you like the content, listeners, uh, please like, comment, and share. As always, you can find the references for this episode on winterynight.com. That's W I N T E R Y K N I ght.com. We appreciate you taking the time to listen and we'll see you again in the next one.